how many times does a GP take out a tooth and a patient is missing a tooth and literally the next step is, is tooth replacement options to discuss. Yeah. And so, um, it naturally will have a snowball effect, but initially it is quite daunting because you're worried, yeah, I'm going to spend all this CPD and time and um, equipment and buying all this. Am I ever going to do a case? That was Dr. Leighton Fu, and this is Dr. Omar Azami, and this is the Newbie Dentist Podcast. Welcome to the Implant Mini Audio Residency. This is a project that I've been working on for a long time, and I'm really excited to share it with you, the listeners. The Mini Implant Audio Residency is a five-part series, starting off with the basics of implant dentistry and going through the different steps of planning, the surgery, the restoration, integration, preparing your team, marketing, all the factors involved in implant dentistry will be covered in this mini implant audio residency. Over the next five episodes, I will be speaking with general dentists, with prosthodontists, with oral and maxillofacial surgeons, as well as experienced implant dentists who share their stories, their knowledge, their expertise, and we talk about the different aspects of implant dentistry involved. I'm really excited. This is a project that I've been meaning to do and publish for a long time. And now that it's here, now that it's ready, I'm really, really excited to get this out into the hands, into the ears of the listeners. And we will have some great fun over the next five episodes. This week's episode, episode one of the Mini Implant Audio Residency is with Dr. Leighton Fu. Dr. Leighton is an amazing dentist here in Melbourne, Australia, a practice owner and a dentist heavily involved in implant dentistry. In this episode, we talk about his journey from graduation into implant dentistry, the trials, the tribulations, the wins, the losses, and really the pathway that led him down to, the, to where he is today with implants and his comfort level in providing top-level implant dentistry solutions for his patients. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode and I hope that you get a lot of value out of it. I will include Leighton's contact details in the show notes below. So if you have any questions for him as a follow-up, you can always reach out to him. So I'm joined today by Dr. Leighton Fu, who's uh, kindly agreed to come on and talk about implant dentistry for the general dentist. This is episode one of the Implant Mini Residency. And Leighton, I'm really excited to kind of get your perspective. Um, over the next few episodes, I'll be talking to you know different specialists and, and how imp- the surgical aspect of, den- of implant dentistry, the restorative side of implant dentistry. But I think to start us off as a general dentist doing you know some really nice work within uh, implant dentistry, your journey, your story and everything will be really exciting. So um, first of all, thanks for coming on. And second of all, if you can just kind of tell us about yourself a little bit and then we'll kind of jump into it. Yeah, my pleasure. Happy to share and uh, happy to be on as well. Thanks for the invitation. And I really enjoyed interviewing you a few months ago in the Dental X um, vidcast as well. So it's good to get the uh, the tables turned around. Yeah. And um, yeah, I guess I've been asked to share about my experience about um, implant dentistry and how I started um, from, from a new grad and I guess to, to where I am now and where I you know, headed and want to be. Um, so I guess just a bit about myself. I, um, I graduated from Melbourne University in 2011. Yeah. And uh, for the first three years, uh, I moved out to rural Victoria, Wangaratta to work. So really busy, um, you know, five-chair practice, heaps of mentorship, lovely patients, super chill, you know, and um, really was able to hone my skills in GP um, from a broad range of, you know, pros, pros, dentures, extractions, of course, restorative. Um, so it was good to dabble in, I guess, try a bit of everything. And I quickly learned what I did like, 
what I didn't like. Yeah. Um, but there was zero scope for implant work. Uh, I mean, the, the principal, uh, Dr. Tony Goodison, uh, who was amazing, he did some implant work. But other than that, um, you know, uh, there wasn't really any scope for us associates to do so. And I was, you know, too busy doing, um, you know, working on the basic stuff as well. And I actually wanted to be an orthodontist really? when I finished uni. Yeah, that's why I got into dentistry. It was a great experience I had with my orthodontist. And um, it was only when I, I guess, moved back to Melbourne, um, you know, with family situations and my, my uh, now wife, you know, started a new job in Melbourne as well. It was time for me to go back. So 2015, I started um, working in, in CBD Melbourne and I joined a practice with uh, Harry Schlen, where I currently still am now. And um, yeah, obviously that, you know, Harry's very experienced in implants and teaches at the, um, you know, the, the Dental Implantology Academy. And um, he said, Lane, don't worry about ortho. You're going to love implants <laughs> by the time, you know, I'm done with you. Yeah. And uh, which is ironic because I kind of do everything but ortho now. And yeah, you're really geared towards implant dentistry now. Um, probably a yeah, majority of the work that I do um, at the practice. And um, yeah, I haven't looked back since. That's awesome. And yeah. I think, you know, it's good to get that overview of what sort of you've been through now, but I guess we'll kind of, I'm curious is like the nitty gritty of it. Um, because I think a lot of people listening either are wanting to get into implants or are maybe enrolled in or taking courses and things at the moment um, to get into, to do implant dentistry. But I think that actionable step of, you know, like going from not placing to placing, um, there's sort of like a lot of barriers along that path. Is it equipment? Is it imaging? Um, is it just like clinical skill and knowledge and things? So um, tell me like for like the learning curve from like when you started this practice uh, with Dr. Harry Schlen, who we'll have on as well later to placing yep. your first implant, sort of what happened in that time period? Yeah, I, um, I was very grateful for my journey, I guess, because um, I felt like I was really well supported and mentored um, and had the opportunities to be able to, um, I guess, get my, get my feet wet. Um, you know, when I first moved back to Melbourne from Wangaratta having full books to Melbourne and literally starting with zero, you know, so yeah. I was just sitting around doing, not doing much. And rather than, you know, um, feeling sorry for myself, you just had to find ways to make the most of that. So whether it be, you know, really um, improving myself with CPD, but just the downtime at the practice was just spent, um, you know, assisting and shadowing all the other dentists, especially Harry. And mm. um, really fortunate because across the corridor, um, Professor Gruber, who was my, uh, yeah. You know, OMFS uh, yeah. professor at uni, um, his private practice was there as well. So he was really generous with his time and allowed me to um, assist in watching his surgeries anytime. So a lot of the learning, you know, learning from osmosis initially, just yeah. by um, getting a feel of it. The most daunting thing I think with implant dentistry first starting off is the amount of componentry involved. And I guess the different implant and implant lines, um, even just within one particular brand or system, let alone, you know, all the hundreds of them out there as well. So just really familiarizing myself with the workflow, um, what tools do what, which components do what. And um, and then eventually that evolved into me, you know, assisting chair side. And then the next natural step was, you know, for me to be in the driver's seat with um, Harry at the time, assisting me and I guess, you know, doing, uh, working together that way. Um, so I think I was very fortunate to have that support, but also equally as important to have, I guess, um, the patients were kind enough to let me, <laughs> you know, um, work on them as well. And a lot of these patients are ongoing patients um, who've, you know, 
been at a practice uh, for a long time and kind of trusted trusted us and um yeah it's taking a step by step really which is really important because i'm not really a uh, you know a gung-ho type of dentist i, I really because i know what can go wrong and mm -hmm. you know i'm very aware of that as well so i always want to take you know, one step at a time rather than jumping right in the deep end so i think um that really worked well for me taking it step by step um, and it, it just evolved from a single implant to, you know, I guess, you know, multiples to understanding definitely the restorative components of it as well, um, uh, you know, leading to full arch and, and soft tissue work and, and everything in between as well. So it's just step by step. And the more you, the more you, uh, I guess, the more you get deeper into it, the more you realise you don't know and it just forces and drives you to, yeah. to learn more and improve. Yeah, yeah. you don't know what you don't know. Definitely. I think that, that's amazing because a, a lot of people have interviewed just not for implant dentistry, but just across the board of like, you know, especially like young dentists are doing really well. Um, that theme seems to be quite common in them that they've started off at a practice that had good mentorship, but they weren't necessarily busy. Um, but like you said, instead of feeling sorry for themselves, they really were proactive at that time and actually, um, you know, chasing up CBD, assisting and trying to get as much exposure as they can and not just, you know, staying at home if they don't have it, like any patients book for that day type thing. So I think that's like one amazing sort of commonality that I've seen across a lot of different sort of successful dentists. So I think that's great. Um, within the implant piece, while you're observing and everything, were you doing any sort of like formal education or any CPD or anything to go along with it? Or are you just kind of like learning on the job essentially? Yeah, definitely. I mean, in addition to, um, that's just one aspect of what happens in the clinical rooms but a big part is you know i was looking and i'm sure many new grads do you know looking at all the implant courses and then which one to do and naturally you think if you have zero hands-on experience um i wanted to do the um you know the, the idea of flying overseas and i guess mm -hmm. getting you know hands-on experience placing 20 implants in that was appealing but i yeah. thought number one i didn't have any money <laughs> <laughs> and number two um i thought just given where i was it would be good to i'm just understand the basics first and get some context mm -hmm. before you really get into it. Cause there's no point placing in 20 implants. And by the end of it, you don't really know what you've done and completely understand it. Um, so in the meantime, whilst working in the practice, you know, I attended you know, as many courses as I can and some of the great ones, obviously working in Harry's practice as well. Um, I came along to all the um, MIS Mordent courses, um, the hands-on and lectures on the weekends. Um, and yeah, really, finished all their, all their programs as well. And that really helped solidify you know, my understanding of the, the implant line, um, componentry, and um, yeah, really worked in tandem together. And I guess, you know, after a couple of years of doing that, um, naturally you, know, you keep wanting to expand and learn more. And um, yes, I've just done you know, a ton of uh, courses locally interstate internationally as well just trying to learn from the best around the world and um you know just keep building on the skill set but i think the initial foundation um by i guess just being really familiar with a particular system that's already in your practice because there's no point yeah. um you know if you're an associate and, and your principal's already i guess well geared and well equipped for a certain implant system um there's no point introducing another one a they're probably not going to want to you know outlay the capital for that initially um, but also it just makes sense to, I guess, um, you stick with the same system that your, your mentor or your, you know, supervisor is going to be familiar with as well. Yeah. Um, and I'm just really glad and happy that the system that I grew up with, um, you know, which is MIS, um, you know, really well-developed system, really, 
popular around the world as well, especially in Europe and America, and as well as Australia. And um, you know, just learning from other different companies and different philosophies. Um, you know, so far MIS has really all the componentry and all the systems in place um, that's necessary for what we do. Yeah, yeah, that's excellent. So, in terms of picking out courses, you know, you mentioned the different types of them. Um, those overseas ones where you go and just kind of get your hands wet, get repetition, but necessarily the didactics may not be there in terms of um, the base knowledge. If you have someone coming to you asking for advice that they want to get into it or want to make a big investment, like is it going to be like a, a modular based, like large course or just doing small courses here and there? What would sort of be your advice in terms of um, CPD around implants? Yeah, I, I think um, it doesn't, again, this this may or may not be the right way, but I was thinking baby steps is doing it well. You know, it's, you're not, never going to learn everything from a weekend course but it's definitely a good starting point, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, so I think what was helpful for me was just starting with an implant system that um, I guess you have access to and I guess learning everything you can from them, whether it be local courses. Um, uh, I've been very lucky to have a lot of specialist colleagues who've been very supportive and really generous with their time as well. So not only learning from them, but even, you know, working with cases together. So initially, if you want to get into implant work and you're not resourced or don't have the confidence to place the implant, um, you know, work with a, a surgeon to, to be able to place the implant first and then, you know, start with the restorative first um, and then build it up from there and then, and then learn from each other. And in my experience, especially with MIS Mordent as well, a really extensive network of you know, experienced and um, you know, knowledgeable and generous specialists to, to help you along. I'm sure there's a few, uh, you know, a few excellent ones coming along in this series as well. Yeah. So I think taking baby steps and then eventually when you do feel ready and I guess um, to expand your horizons, look further and, and develop from there. So that, that's what I did with my, um, I did the guide program which I really enjoyed, oh, nice. which was, yeah. yeah, which is run um, based in LA. But uh, modules, you know, they have modules all around the world as well. So I mainly did in Sydney, Vietnam and UCLA. Um, sorry, so Loma Linda um, in uh, California. So that's back in the cool. days when we could travel. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's, a, that's a really good comprehensive program. So I think that's definitely a, a decent one to look into. In terms of uh, roadblocks and obstacles uh, for getting started in implants, um, you know, with like CBCT now, like being so heavily relied upon and um, all the different componentry and things that you mentioned, if you are an associate who works at a practice and the principal doesn't do it, um, or even if you're a practice owner who wants to get into it, uh, what are like some of like the, like the absolute must that I think you, you, you think that we need to have in the practice before you kind of start? Um. So we're talking about surgical placement, Amid? Yeah, right? surgical placement, yeah. Yeah, obviously um, the biggest outlay well, for me, because you know, I actually started um, also working as associate at another practice with Andrew Cheer. Um, so that, and I, um, yeah, so the biggest outlay was initially just getting the uh, implant motor mm-hmm. and the hand pieces as well, as well as um, investing in, in the actual implant componentry itself. But... The great thing that I found was with with and Kane helped me out a lot setting up as well is that you don't have to buy everything all at once. You know, mm. um, you can pretty much order the the surgical guides or the implants components per, on a case basis, so yeah. the outlay isn't significant. And you know, the implant motor you're gonna it's something like it just keeps you keep it forever as well. You know, um, so that was pretty much it. Everything else, I mean, per case you. 
it depends if you don't want to overcapitalize and overstock on certain things you can just order it by consignment yeah um which makes it you know quite um quite reasonable to spread out the cost that way but obviously yeah having not only the equipment but the support of um you know, either a clinical mentor or even if you're starting with baby steps, um, I know Kane was more than happy to come out with me for my first few cases to to really, you know, hold my hand essentially and just show me what's what and um, yeah. making sure we're doing the right things. Yeah. The componentry. So, so that's one good one in terms of obstacles. Cause I think that's, I, I'm trying to just, I ask this cause I'm coming at it from a position of like, I want to get into it myself. So I'm just trying to ask questions that I think other people will kind of value. So in my head, that's one is like, if I'm working at a practice and uh, my principal doesn't do it. Um, so when you said motors and all that, is that something that you bought yourself and brought to the practice or you like worked out with the practice owner to acquire that? Yeah, look, it's going to be up to the negotiation with you and the practice owner. I mean, if the practice owner has never planned to do implants, it doesn't really make sense for them to want yeah. to buy one, in which case that's fine. You can um, offer to buy one yourself and, and negotiate that within a contract somehow. Mm-hmm. Or um, it's just one of those things where no, it seems initially, you know, it's a few grand to buy it, but something that you're going to keep with you and you're always going to use it. And even if you have your own practice like I do now, um, it never hurts to have an extra set of uh, extra motor set, you know, but I know at the time it's really daunting to make that yeah. initial outlay like anything, like especially when you're paying for like a big um, CPD course or modular course, but the ROI on, on, on that, you know, it's, it's a no brainer. Yeah. It's definitely you can't really do it. You can't really do this work without it, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think another obstacle as well that I see with a lot of my colleagues starting out with implant dentistry is I guess the, the concern that, you don't have the patient base to do yeah. it. Yeah. But just like anything, I think if you're, you know, if you train yourself for the skills and, and um, you know, you're equipped with, with that skill and that confidence that you're able to help out this patient with two placement options, that really um, shines through when you're trying to communicate with the patient as well. And, you know, um, how many times does a GP take out a tooth and a patient is missing a tooth and literally the next step is, is tooth replacement options to discuss. Yeah. And so um, it naturally will have a snowball effect, but initially it is quite daunting because you're worried, yeah, I'm going to spend all this CPD and time and um, equipment and buying all this. Am I ever going to do a case? Um, I think naturally it will come. I mean, you have to again, be working in a, uh, an environment that's supportive of it, but part of it is you have to drive yourself to have that confidence and um yeah, just take take the plunge really yeah that's a huge one because i like a lot of us will do courses like for example and funny like i did like you know the invisalign courses and stuff and then i got back and i was like i don't one like i just didn't really have the the like drive to like do cases like that like i didn't enjoy it particularly enough to like want to do it so I've, a lot it happens to a lot of people where they, you take a course you spend the money and then you come back and you don't implement it and then a month passes and like it's gone like you you've kind of lost the the, the motivation or the knowledge base that you kind of acquired so i think yeah. that's it's a huge thing especially if you're going to parlay like that amount of money to do the modular courses or to get your mortars and stuff like you mentioned really you need to kind of have a plan or even have like maybe patients like banked up so then once you've done it then you can just kind of roll it through and and actually start placing a few uh i'm curious like do you remember like your first implant placement you never remember your first do you i mean (laughs) Uh, vaguely i remember vaguely i remember and it was a disaster it wasn't a disaster obviously otherwise i would never forget yeah um (laughs) 
but yeah, it was like a gradual process for me. So it's, it's all a blur now after you've done a few, you know? <laughs> yeah. This week's episode of the Mini Implant Audio Residency is brought to you by my good friends at Mordent. Mordent is your proudly Australian-owned and operated partner, driving the charge forward in integrated digital dentistry. Being the only fully integrated local dental company, Mordent offers world-class education, equipment, products, solution, and support. The Mordent team of over 50 specialists are helping thousands of Australian practices to seize the opportunities in digital dentistry, transforming treatment for their dentists and the patients alike. Whether you're seeking to upskill through education or are considering implementation of digital dentistry into your practice, or just looking for some advice, I highly recommend reaching out to the Mordent team. Visit www.mordent.com.au to find out more. I will include their information in the show notes for those interested. As always, if you're new to the Newbie Dentist podcast, thank you for checking us out. Be sure to head back and check out the previous episodes that I've done on the podcast. I've had the privilege of having some amazing guests on the podcast over the past couple of years. If you're returning, thank you for your ongoing support of the Newbie Dentist podcast. I hope this mini implant audio residency is full of value for you. And if you are getting value, please head over to iTunes and give the show a five-star rating. These ratings help the show get more traction within the dental community. Without further delay, enjoy this week's episode. What are like, what's some of the, um, like if you can go back and give yourself advice starting out, what would you have like sort of changed up or done differently <clears throat> within implant dentistry, not just, you know, career wise, but. I, um, well, it's easy to say in retrospect, but obviously for the first three years, um, I wouldn't have done any ortho CPD and done more <laughs> input. <laughs> but sometimes, you know, that's just the path of life, how it goes. But um, mm. definitely um, in the context of, I guess, practice ownership as well, um, once you become a practice owner, it does be- become that much harder to be able to do these big comprehensive courses, time away from the practice, you know, uh, opportunity costs as well. Yeah. So, um, you know, I've always been a CPD junkie and a, a dental nerd, but I felt like maybe during my associate years I could have done a bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but other than that, you know, I've been really grateful for my journey. I know that it's not particularly typical as well, so I'm, I guess I'm just trying to extrapolate which aspects are applicable, you know, for a, a new grad who um, may be in a position where they want to do more implants but doesn't have um, as much support. But you'll be surprised, yeah. as I said, not only is... Um, um, other clinicians, specialists, um, implant reps. I'm still in my experience with MIS as well. Um, they're more than happy to assist and help at any stage to make it, um, yeah, to, to make it more attainable. More attainable as possible. Yeah, I think that I think that's the thing. Just gotta you know get over the hump and actually start doing it, and then um, the momentum builds. You get some enjoyment out of it. Is there? Um, because obviously talking about successes and things is easy, but like, how did you, because the confidence aspect of surgery or even any like advanced procedure, like endo and stuff. Um, cause I remember like early on, especially the first couple of years, you know, you do like a endo case and it goes really well, or you do two, three in a row that goes really well. And you're like, like your confidence level endo rises and you're like, okay, I can kind of take it on until you kind of ledge one or you something get stuck. And then you kind of go over the whole like learning curve again, in a way. Um, how did you deal with those like setbacks early on, like in the first, you know, a few cases, if there's any complications or something that went kind of not as planned as it does, it happens. Um, how did you yeah. overcome that? Like in the, from the confidence standpoint to like keep going with it? 
Yeah, look, that, that's a really good question. And I'm the type of clinician where, you know, I always want to give it my all for the patient. And when something goes wrong, as it invariably does, when you're doing dentistry and dealing with a human body, um, you know, I'm pretty hard on myself as well, just trying to think back what could be changed and different. Um, and not only just with implant dentistry, with any dentistry. Um, so I think one of the earliest things that I realised was that, again, sometimes you can do a technically perfect job in the mouth and the results, you know, um, you're only one factor of that as well. If there's a whole mm -hmm. patient factors, what they're doing at home, how what they're doing during the healing period, how their body's response is to the treatment um, that you can't control. So I just, I worry about things I can control mm -hmm. and um, the things that I can't, it's part of the informed consent. I just have a, a really upfront discussion with the patient. And mm -hmm. I guess when you have that confidence uh, in, in yourself to be able to tell that to the patient, it's less pressure on you. Mm -hmm. And... Um, you know, you, you kind of, um, the weight is lifted off your shoulders a little bit and you just focus on what you can do as best as you can and just realise that, you know, stuff happens sometimes. Um, within, sorry, I forgot the question. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, We're on the right track. It was more so, you know, like, yeah, how to deal with setbacks in terms of like within your implant growth in the early phases, um, how did you kind of overcome those to keep going or or to start taking yeah. on even more like advanced cases, multi-units or... Uh, yeah and things yeah yeah sure so a, a big part is again I, I'm, I'm quite conservative in terms of the leaps and bounds i'm willing to do um for treatment so i just wanted to make sure i was really comfortable with you know level a first before trying to move to level b and subsequently and beyond and i think by just reducing that gap um you know, there's less stress involved yeah. um and just realizing that if something goes wrong just really analyze it and learn more. And the more you learn um, and talk to other colleagues, it just, you just realize, hey, you know what? Some of these most experienced implant guys there and girls, they're having the same problems as well. You know, so it kind of makes you feel better sharing those experiences and I guess learning what you can do next time as well. Um, I know Harry, you know, who's been a great mentor to me, he, he said that, you know, if you're having a string of failures in a row, um, sometimes let's just, you know, if an implant has a 1% failure rate, you just put that 1% earlier out of the way. That means the next ones are going to be a clear run, you know? Yeah, it's um, a good mentality. Having that mentality and or if something does go wrong, just trying to learn as much as you can from it and rather than beating yourself up and yeah. you know, improve for the next one. That's great advice. Um, something that I want to, I'm hoping to do sort of uh, for the next few episodes as well um, before we wrap up is just maybe go through like a clinical case in terms of get your perspective of um, how you would approach it kind of start to finish rough, roughly just like key steps, you know, not going like fully nitty gritty. So the, the hypothetical case that I've kind of presented is a you know, an implant in the 25 site. Um, yes. They've come in, the tooth is missing everything. So it's not like you're doing an extraction. So just talk me through about like one, your initial workup, what you look for, maybe some of the discussions that you have with the patient and then how you sort of plan the case from there. Yeah, sure. So you were talking about two, five. Um, so the tooth's been taken out. Yeah, it's healed and up. And they're yeah. adequate. We're not going to get too fancy with like grafting and stuff. Just like, you know, it's like, mm -hmm. like, a, like a slam yeah. dunk case. Sort of just talk me yeah. through it. And two five timbers is one of the nicest sites to do your first implant case. Actually, it's just just out of the smile line, but yeah. you know, upper has nice access as well. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, it starts with basics. You know, um, does a patient want an implant replacement? Uh, go through all the different options, um, tooth replacement options with them. The pros and cons of each. Um, what's a patient's wants and desires? What's their budget? Um, and then going through obviously the medical history as well, understanding that with any surgical or dental procedure. 
Um, and then from there, I think a key piece of information is a CBCT scan. You know, yeah. um, that's um, usually where it starts if the patient's interested in implants. We need to know the, the bone and the ridge dimensions. Um, full into, oh, sorry, even step before that as well. We're assuming that the rest of the dentition sound and health, yeah. if there's no underlying perio or, or <laughs> caries or anything like that. I, I didn't know I was um, undergoing an exam today. I mean, yeah. <laughs> 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 no, it's good. It's good. I guess, you know, we're locked down at the moment, so we can't do dentistry. So the next thing is just yeah, talk about keep, them, keep, right? you, uh, keep you sharp. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, yeah, the CT scan would be um, cross-referenced with an intraoral scan of the mouth, which is my regular protocol. Mm -hmm. And then from there, uh, the reason being is, um, uh, you know, I could talk for hours with this as well, but not only is the implant position important, but where does it relate? To where the final crown needs to be as well in terms of the depth in terms of um yeah angulations in, in all the axes as well so kind of work from a crown down basically do a virtual wax up of what the two five should look like in terms yeah. of the cusps in terms of gingival margins and then work backwards from there to plan where the implant needs to be mm -hmm. um, and then we're looking for the anatomical um anatomical uh, limits in that area maxillary sinus adjacent teeth ridge width, whether or not bone augmentation needs to be done or not. Um, but assuming it's a straightforward case, um, for a case like this, I still do fully guided as well with the M guide. Mm -hmm. um, so we'll send that to the planning centre that will plan exactly where we need plan to go, get the surgical guide made and basically put the patient into surgery. Yeah. So how long um, was it, what's the turnaround time to get the guides and things kind of sorted out? A couple of weeks couple yeah. weeks yeah to get to get it um to get the planning approved and also the surgical guide printed and for them to send back components as well and then the beauty of um i guess the way that uh we work is because the implant position i guess you it's placed where exactly you want it and need it to be um there shouldn't be any surprises if all yeah. the surgical steps are carried well um because you know exactly which implant needs to be there you know because you know the depth, you know which healing abutment size to order. Um, and when it comes down to the final restorative, there's going to be no surprises because it's going to be screw access because that's how you planned it. You know, it's not going to, you know, you realize when you put your impression coping in that the implant's coming out buckle <laughs> and you have to worry about angle correction, all that. It's, it's kind of, um, yeah, measure twice, cut once, and everything just flows on from there. Yeah, no, it's amazing. And I'm excited to kind of get into that more detail, like in the subsequent sort of uh, interviews. But I think the fact that you can take the variability out of the surgery so much with guided and uh, like the imaging and stuff that you guys do, um, especially with like the prosthetically driven, like you mentioned, like the crown down uh, yeah. way of doing it. Um, it seems like it's just, you know, quite smooth um, in terms of how things will kind of proceed if you've planned it kind of uh, really well. So um, yeah. I think that's, that's a great um, way of doing it. How, in terms of, like start to finish in terms of communicating with the patient. Um, if that patient with the two five comes in, when will you like, can you promise them, okay, the tooth will be in there, the restore, restoration will be there and you'll be functional. Like what do you kind of communicate? How do you communicate that piece of it? Yeah. I, I, I like to leave my implants for um, a good 12 weeks. Mm -hmm. So I tell so for fossil integration. Yeah. So I tell the patients that, you know, that's the minimum amount of time it takes for the, the implant to integrate. So once I place the implant in, uh, we're going to allow your body to integrate it, great to it for three, um, 12 weeks. And then after that, if I'm happy with how it's healed and integrated, we can start making the tooth and the turnaround for a tooth is, you know, a couple of weeks or so to get it made. So, um, that's a time frame I give the patient. You see, there's no promises yeah. in there. 
and there's no, um, and it's not dependent on me. The language that I use, I'm kind of saying it's, it's your body integrating to the implant, you know. Yeah. And so if it takes longer, they say, oh, it's just, you know, it's taking a bit longer or um, it, it's about managing expectations. Yeah, because yeah. as soon as you set a date, an arbitrary date, which meant nothing to the patient before, yeah, they're going to hold it and they're going to stick to it. And if you're a day late, a day later, uh, you've broken your promise to them. And uh, whenever you're dealing with the human body, um, yeah, you just can't give promises that way. Yeah, that's excellent. I, I really value that you kind of highlight communication a few times throughout the interview because uh, I think it is a huge component in terms of just like lowering stress on yourself. Um, setting patient expectations um, and just kind of avoiding messes down the track if something doesn't go as planned. What are like some of the key, like other, do you have any other like advice around communication and implant dentistry, some of the things that you've picked up on? Um, yeah, as I said, you know, it's a really passionate about communication. You've already had some amazing speakers on your program uh, cover a lot of this as well, but yeah, I mean, your your treatment can you can only do the treatment that you can communicate mm-hmm. with the patient, you know. So, again, I, I like to work quite stress fear free, and um, a lot of I want my patients to have ownership on not only the oral health condition but the decisions and the treatments that they do. Yeah. So I'm never you know selling an implant to a patient or anything. Yeah, mm-hmm. sometimes it's opposite. I'm, sometimes I'm talking patients out of implants a lot who want all their teeth removed and want mm-hmm. implants because that's going to solve all the problems. Like mm-hmm. it's not. So um, I guess when I'm explaining to the treatment options, I'm never leaning towards one option or another. But at the start, you know, when you're asking about the patient's desires and they're saying, you know, I really don't want, I don't hate my current denture because it moves and I have to take it out all the time. Mm-hmm. So, and the denture's all broken up. And so the options is either a new denture or I guess something implant supported. Um, I just lay out all the options and the pros and cons of each. And I guess, you know, the, the benefit of the implant restoration is that it's fixed and you don't have to remove it. Uh, the downsides it does require more maintenance it, it costs more and the, the the patient makes a decision i make the, the decision with them yeah so they never feel like i'm trying to sell them something if anything i'm quite impartial to it but i kind of um highlights that if i really think an implant solution is going to help them and achieve their goals and desires then i really highlight the benefits that's related to their uh, i guess their pain points um so that way the um yeah, the patient has ownership on the decision moving forward and I guess they value the treatment more. Um, so that's yeah, one aspect of treatment acceptance. And then we can talk about, you know, informed consent with failures and everything and just not being afraid to really outline it because, yeah. you know, patients, they're getting more sophisticated, they're getting more educated. And, you know, if you were going to major heart surgery, you would want to know what the worst outcomes are, even though, I think as young clinicians might think that oh, I'm deterring the patient and scaring yeah. them off, it's opposite. You know, the more I observe uh, more experienced clinicians, the more time they spend on failures. And I guess mm-hmm. by um, highlighting that, um, you need to, because if you don't and then something happens, it's on you because um, yeah. it's an excuse. Um, and and that has a, that's had an effect on me because it just allows me to practice more comfortably and stress free without having to worry about you know, litigation or anything like that. Yeah, that's a huge um, that's a huge component for sure. I think that's just yeah. litigation is a, a big driving um, like weight on a lot of people nowadays. So I think yeah. that comes down to like, my dad. My dad in the background yeah. doing some gardening. <laughs> <laughs> enjoy enjoying the nice weather. That's, we'll, we'll get his advice as well for communication. <laughs> yeah. um, no, but I think, I mean, that's, that's great advice. I think that's really valuable. It just not even just for implants, but just in general, uh, yeah. the best dentists are the best communicators for sure. Um, Cause like you said, if you have the clinical skill, but you don't know how to communicate it, one, you won't get to do it enough. And two, 
the patient doesn't necessarily just see the, the occlusal anatomy that you put in. They appreciate how you communicate that to them. So I think that's um, really, really sound advice. I, I guess the last thing I'll try and um, just get some more information out of your advice out of you would be is just maybe like a few pieces of advice you have for like a young dentist starting, starting implant dentistry in terms of where to do it, how to do it, um, cost benefits. Like, is it worth like focusing in and sacrifice? Like say if they're already doing a bit of endo, doing a bit of ortho, and they also want to add implants, like you said, sometimes it's hard to be so scattered in terms of like everything that you do. Cause you'll get only like a base superficial level of understanding of how to do it. Like really proficient. Mm. Um, yeah. Would you recommend like being a special, like a specialized generalist in a way? Um, I guess it depends on the, you know, how deep you want to get into it, right? Because, I mean, I've got a lot of colleagues and friends who, you know, who, who do implant dentistry, but is, I guess are more comfortable and limited to, um, you know, single or, you know, short span bridges. Because once you start looking at uh, full arch, um, that opens up a whole other can of worms and it's a whole other skill set as well. Mm-hmm. So um i think with today's uh support and technology and workflows um certainly doing single units which is you know a lot of the bread and butter and and most of the cases that you'll do anyway is certainly attainable and anything that requires more grafting or sinus issues um you can easily work with the surgeon in that regard but then if you feel like hey i'm really enjoying this and there's a real you know the patient there's a patient need for it um that can develop further into um, doing more CPD and learning more to um, further yourself. So I, I think it's very attainable now to do it um, to do the initial simple cases as a GP. Um, of course, it's to educate yourself sufficiently to understand what is simple, because again, mm-hmm. the more you know. Yeah. Um, but these days, as I said, the, the barrier of entry isn't that high now that you can just order parts as you go and um, with the support. Uh, and again, I can only speak for more than I mean work with. Yeah. Um, yeah, they're more than happy to help and support you in that regard. That's awesome. No, that's really good advice, Lane. Thank you so much for the time. We've covered a lot of ground. I guess the last thing I'll, I'll leave with is if you have any anything that you think that would, would benefit from that I didn't ask you uh, as pertaining to implant dentistry for the general dentist, is there any topic, talking points, or any advice or anything that I didn't ask that you think would be useful? Um, I think... It's just hard because there's, you know, it can be quite confusing for um, a practitioner, especially starting out, because there's so many different pathways mm-hmm. on um, how to go. You know, which implant system? Do I do a guided or non-guided? Um, which course do I do? Is it a short course or do I do I drop 20K into a big course, you know? Um, and like anything, and I had these same questions and I, I was asking, you know, a lot of uh, more experienced mentors and colleagues as well. And I'm like, oh, what's the best course to do? And the answer is just do all of them, you know. <laughs> what, 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 and, and that's a facetious way of just trying to say, at least just get started somewhere, you know, yeah. um, because um, just taking that first step um, will open the doors a few more. And look, sometimes that first step, you know, you might start off with a course that was crap or an implant system that has no support, mm-hmm. but at least you've taken one step forward and, and then you can target it in the right way as well. So I guess 